Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. My name is Danny Cola. Thank you so much for tuning in. If today is your first time listening to the show, make sure to hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you listen to your podcast. This way you get updates whenever a new episode is dropped. Today's episode features my friend Jonathan Lose. He's a professor of kinesiology and a practicing physical therapist. We have a conversation about the COVID-19 pandemic and the shift in today's society. Uh, We talk about whether or not stopping the economy in the name of spreading the virus was the best idea. Uh, But ultimately, we talk about what happens from here. Where do we go? What will the plan be to construct today's version of a new normal? And uh, that's what this podcast revolves around. Make sure to uh, rate the podcast a five-star rating and share it with somebody that you love if you found this episode valuable. Make sure to follow Jonathan on LinkedIn at Jonathan Lose. Let's connect on Instagram, as always, at Danny Cola Fitness. But without further ado, enjoy the podcast, everybody. Dude, you post a lot of articles. Are you just like searching articles all day long? So when I get frustrated, I get uh, I have to do something, and I'm and I, I can sit here and, and I can get angry, but um, everyone else is kind of sitting sitting by, letting all this happen without really looking at data and. Here, my contention is this, is that, is this a real problem? I think so. Um, but they took a sledgehammer to fix this problem and mm. uh, they just, they destroyed so much. And uh, I like having this part of the conversation because a lot of times when you go this direction, people get upset and you can't even go forward even more. But yeah, you're right. We took a sledgehammer to this and I'm not sure that stopping everything is the best way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I, yeah, I've posted a bunch of stuff. It first started off at looking at the numbers. Is this really a big threat? And uh, looking at how uh, the other countries kind of handled it. We looked at South Korea. Uh, I think South Korea is, the, is one of the best models right now. But uh, China, I don't think we can really look at their data. Uh, Why is South Korea model good? Can you explain that a little bit? Because you look at this way more in depth than I do. I would say that I'm still very uneducated about the 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 severity of the disease and the virus itself. I mean, what, what do you know about it and why is it a big, big time scare? Um, I, I, I think the scare is the unknown. And I think that's what people are fearful of. And I don't know anything about the virus and nor does anyone else. Cause it's, it's only really been on the radar since uh, January, maybe mm-hmm. earlier, but uh, who, who knows? But uh, I think that's the big aspect. And, and if you look at the numbers right now, uh, they use that, um, the, I forgot what college, the Imperial study. I can't think of the uh, study that they did right now. It was the one that all the, uh, they were extrapolating the data. And this is what, this is what started the big hysteria here in the United States is that they were predicting 1.4 to 2 million people dying. from. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the guy who created that study, uh, the Imperial college study, um, he basically came back out and said, oops, my data was wrong. Mm. And now they're, Dr. Fucci came on and said a hundred to 200,000 deaths. And some of the models now that are a little bit more realistic are, are, are looking at 64,000 deaths, but this is all based on um, confirmed laboratory studies. And when you look at um, when you look at the flu virus, when you look at confirmed data, uh, it has about a 10% death rate. And right now, um, when we look at the coronavirus, um, worst case scenarios, like you look at China, I'll pull, I'm going to pull it up right now. I think China yeah. is at, uh, do, 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 I'm sorry, Italy. Italy's getting their ass kicked for some reason. Their infrastructure is awful, though. Well, and yeah, th- this is like the big. This is the, this should be the <laughs> knife in the back for uh, socialized medicine because of their uh, mm. their system just sucking. You look at Germany. Germany's kicking ass over there. So okay, so Italy right now, if I just do a really rough, they have eleven point seven, twelve percent death rate, right? Which is from their confirmed aspect. But uh, I don't know if Italy really is the best uh, the best model. I, I think we're going to be more like Germany because our healthcare system is similar. And we do have a slightly younger population. I think Germany is healthier than we are. And um, this is just, we'll put this on the side burner, but uh, from a fitness industry, I think this coronavirus is going to be the best thing for us to get, to get people motivated. Sure. Say, sure. Your risk of dying from this is because you're fat, you're, you're have diabetes, you're, you're cardiovascular. Now, granted, there's some people that can't help that they have heart defects, but for the majority of the population, 70, I, I'm, I'm pulling the number out of my head. I'm not going to say a number, but. Uh, you should have take care of yourself, right? The best Definitely. preparation for this was be fucking healthy and you don't have to worry about uh, dying from it. So not Definitely. that it's not a, not that it's not a serious disease by any means. There's people that are being hospitalized from it, but um, 
Well, you know what we don't talk about enough is the recovery. The people that recover from symptoms. You know, they say the virus lives on surfaces and it can be transferable through, you know, just touching things and touching your mouth and touching your eyes and face. And some say like it's, it it can be like put through the air or uh, contagious through the air, but that's only in like smaller spaces. So like if you're on a cruise ship with constant recirculating air, your chances of getting that virus is just way higher. But then what what are numbers off the top of your head of people getting symptoms and then recovering? Uh, right now, it's 185,000 uh, 185, have re- total recovered out of 884,000 total cases. And we'll see that. Let me look at yesterday's numbers because those haven't been populated. So right now, as of yesterday, 177,000 recovered and uh, 42,000 deaths from the world. But again, that's, that's China's uh, data and Iran. Some of these countries are not really reporting. But if we look at, um, we just look at the United States, there wasn't that many recovered yet because it's so new. But there's quite a bit of people recovering. But, you know, we look at 858,000 uh, total cases for the world for um, 8.7.8 billion people. Let me see. I, let me just look at the numbers of our population. Again, changes every, every day. World population is 7.7, almost 7.8 billion people. And you've had uh, less than a million cases, right? And let's say let's say this thing peaks in a in a couple of weeks, and we Which double is what that. They're saying, yeah. Two, so we got let's say let's let's really give us a factor of error. Let's say three million cases out of uh, three point uh, seven point eight billion people. It's really not that impactful. Like again, we are we're approaching this with a sledgehammer. Let's let's say a hundred thousand people die in the United States. Yeah, people say you're a heartless bastard. That's our it's our mom and dad. Yeah, I know, but they're still they're. Again, I, I just, it, when, we, when we look at the numbers of that, that, that it's meaningful, but we look at it comparative to the, of all the deaths that happen in the United States, there's, there's about 8,000 people that die every single day in the United States, every day, right. every day, every day, some, some cause, right? Nobody even bats an eye. Right. And per week, you, you, you do, we do lose about just under 1,000 people per week for flu and about 20 to 30,000 per week for pneumonia. Normal, right? So it, it's just... We're just paying attention to it, right? Right, right. Okay, I get what you're saying. So now as far as like taking the situation and everyone going nuts over this virus that's going to go viral and kill us all, the way we're handling it, let's talk a little bit about that. Shutting down schools, the economy is going to take a huge dump, and now everyone's kind of reforced to kind of reevaluate the way they add value. Do you feel like at the end of the day, coming out of this, something new is going to sprout and the way a perspective is, is going to shift will be a, a, an advancement for us long-term or what? No, that's a, In your head. that's the thing is I think, I think people so willingly gave up their freedoms and, um, and uh, bought into the fear so much that you have people shaming people for not uh, staying home. Like you see these, mm, right, right, stay right. The fuck home, and and when I see that, it I, I almost want to reach through the screen and like slap these people in the face because they think that the faster we the, the faster we all stay in, the faster this is going to get over. And they don't understand that the flattening of the curve is actually extending the process out. We're trying to slow the flow to allow the healthcare system to kind of handle that overload. But the total number of cases does not change. The area under the curve whether it peaks really fast or whether it flattens out is the same, same amount of cases. Mm-hmm. Just the thought process is we're going to save more based on the healthcare system. Now, if your healthcare system can burden those, um, if those, if your healthcare system can burden those like Germany or the United States, you're probably not going to have much issue whether you flatten the curve or not. There's going to be, there's going to be that peak. Um, but people are looking at this from immediate repair, like, Oh, we got to make, we got to take care of this right now. Not realizing that the only way really out of this is either a vaccine herd immunity or the disease for some reason spontaneously burns itself out, which can happen. But this whole notion that we're going to get in, we're going to flatten the curve, and then we're going to return back to life in four weeks. This is a ruse. First, it was two weeks Mm. of shutdown. Now it's four weeks. It's going to keep on going until people are safe to go outside. And until you have herd immunity where enough people have gotten the virus, or you have uh, a vaccine, which is a year out. And I, I'm not going to be the first person to say, oh, test me with the vaccine, please. Right. I'd rather take my risk with getting, getting the virus, building up natural immunity, and I don't fucking worry about it again. Right, yeah, you, you said herd immunity. Let's talk about what that looks like. What would we have to do for everyone to kind of be exposed? Would that be like reopen shit again and, and go back to the way things were? Or how do you even think about that again? I, 
I kind of like what Sweden's doing right now is they they said, look, we're going to have a laissez-faire approach to it. Let's let's just let this thing rip through us and and let's let's get people infected and let's make sure we're right now tooling up our healthcare system. They're putting a little bit of faith in the uh, malaria like drug that. and a couple other things, and they're saying, okay, let's do this because here's what's going to happen. If let's say let's say let's say we did the social distancing, which we did, and this is what happened during the Spanish flu uh, pandemic. Uh, that they 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 started to kind of calm down, they flattened the curve, and then all of a sudden they started loosening restrictions, and then they had ended up with a a spike again in infection. Mm. And they kind of had to wait for that to for that seasonal flu to mutate. And uh, yeah, that's I hear a lot of people saying that it's going to be a series of quarantines. We're going to go back, and we're going to see another spike, and we're going to have to be quarantined again. Like people say that this pattern is going to keep happening. If right, keep doing it this way. So we're not we're not we're we're doing fucking nothing. So okay, so right. here's the deal. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have the same amount of cases. Um, maybe the same amount of death, but now we're going to extend this out over a one to two year period, 18 months, let's say, and um, or what, what happened to our economy? And we're assuming everything's going to be okay, but mm. all these non-essential businesses are are somewhat supportive of the essential businesses. And uh, what happens when we start when these re- when the when the restaurants can't get food from food service or um, grocery stores aren't getting their logistics down and they're not getting their deliveries? Now there's no food. Now what? Because we've usually the free market manages all of that, right? Supply and demand. But now that you had government come in and just shut that shit down, we're we're, we're with central planning, which I don't. If anyone ever says that central planning has ever worked, they're fucking full of shit, right? Mm-hmm. Government has never been successful at trying to predict the economies, and they end up in this socialist squalor type aspect. I'm going to go on a tangent here. Like no, only- it's good. I li- I'm listening. It's good perspective because I, I do like to go to the, like you, you kept saying how uh, you were, you were, uh, I mean, everyone just kind of gave up their rights freely like that. And it's like ghost and, and we're home. And then the shaming comes about like my friend's fiance ripped, ripped me a new one when I asked him to come by, you know, and my, I asked my mom to come by and my mother-in-law was coming by. We we're going to have a little bit of dinner. And then, she reamed me out on a on a Facebook message, and she's just like, "Are you seriously having people over and trying to lecture me? I'm a Medicare professional, blah blah blah." And like, I want to respect everyone's opinion, but the way that you were saying how like everyone just kind of gave up their rights, I want to talk about that for a second because I think it's you know just as normal to worry about being controlled by an uh, you know an upper echelon. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's it's like this. Like, I hate paying taxes, but if, if I, if I was going to, if someone was going to raise my taxes and at least I know that it was going to pay off some debt. Okay, fine. That might be a temporary solution, right? Okay, let's do it. But when they raise taxes and they increase spending, it's like, well, fuck you. I'm not giving you a, a blank check here to do stuff. Same thing with this. I, I, I do think the social distancing aspect has been effective, right? It's, it's slowed down mm. the, uh, the speed of infection. So I, I do think there's some, some prudence to um, maintaining six feet. I think, I think washing your fucking hands and not touching your face, I think yeah. it's the, the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, but I think wearing the mask, I think all these things are great, right? This, this prevention is key, but prevention, giving up this, these uh, letting things close down with a, with a plan for reopening, that is meaningful. But this just whole, we're gonna, we're gonna shut everything down and just roll this out. People think it's only gonna be three weeks, four weeks, six weeks. Fucking people wake up. This is going to be like a, a year, 18 months until the vaccine or herd immunity. Or here's the other thing. And this is what's going to blow the top off this whole thing is when these, um, these antibody testing start coming out. Maybe this has been with us since November of last year, right? People have had these lingering coughs and bad, maybe coronavirus got out sooner than later. I think we're going to be surprised when we find that um, a lot of people already have had this and have developed immunity or the denominator, the amount of people that actually have the virus is more widespread than we actually thought because mm. we don't have the testing facilities. And this is right. why South Korea really jumped on it right away is they were, they were testing. They got a test out within weeks. They banged it out and everyone was getting tested once, twice, multiple times per capita. They had some of the highest testing. And then they, instead of having a sledgehammer, they surgically uh, with a scalpel said, okay, let's trace back where you were at. Let's keep you isolated. People complied, right? There was no massive shutdown. Economy still worked. And we could have done that same thing. We just, it, it got politicized, both parties, Democrats mm-hmm. and Republicans. Um, we had bad data coming out of China and here we are. And we've, we've, probably we're a little late flattening the curve. So now really what we should be doing is flattening this curve to kind of tool up hospitals, give them time to get the respirators and their temporary shelters built, and then let this thing rip through. 
get it over and done with so we can get back to work. The, the people that are immune can be immune. We still isolate the um, people that are over 65 or 70 yeah. pre-existing health conditions. But guys like you and me, let's go out. We get sick. Uh, we get sick, right? But I doubt it because of the amount of zinc that we take and the vitamin C and all the and other the, shit. The movement, the sleep, the meditation, the, yeah. the reflection. Yeah. Now, well, I was going to ask you, how often did you get sick before something like this kind of happened? Um, when I first started working in the hospital, I, um, I, I, I never really got sick that much. But when I first started working in the healthcare setting, I think in the first six months, I was like, I had all types of like coughs and sneeze and everything. Mm-hmm. And now, I don't know, I think I get sick. With kids uh, and I didn't get sick two little kids too. Yeah, yeah. and now with kids with a one-year-old and four-year-old, it's like a cyclic aspect. The little guy gets it, the big guy gets it, then Mm -hmm. I get it. Um, But if I get sick, I'm sick for like two or three days. I did the last time I got really sick where I was out out was during the swine flu. I I pretty much think I I probably had the swine flu um, back in back in 2009. Yeah, 2008, 2009. Uh, I was out for like ten days, like. fluctuating fever diarrhea. I mean, it was, it was full on uh, flu and I was out. Like that was the first time that I was laid up horizontal for mm. multiple days in a row. Mm. Outside of that, I don't, I just don't really get sick. Yeah. I'm with you, dude. I fucking don't even remember the last time I got a flu. Like I remember changing my diet drastically and I thought I got what was called the keto flu, uh-huh. but you know, that drastically dropping out my carbs. And I was like, just shitting and vomiting water for three days. But after that, I felt good as new lost like 15 pounds and it stayed off, you know? Right. But, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was the last time I could recall being super sick. And I don't even I don't feel like I even get like colds, really. Like anytime I cough, it's like usually because I just smoked a joint or you clear know? my throat or whatever. Clear yeah. my throat. Honestly, like that's an, or maybe like allergies from you know, springtime or too much dog hair in the house, like that, that type of shit. I'm always in the, in like, in the mindset, I got to go, I have to meet my clients. I have to, you know, teach my classes. I have to go to practice. I have to do my online shit. I got to do a podcast. So like mentally I'm there and, and it like translates physically. I always show up, I condition myself to, to do those things. And I felt, I feel like sickness has never been a thing, but I've, like I said, like, or like you were saying, I always take, uh, I always make the moving, the breathing, the rest, a priority for years. Right. Like I remember being cautious of how many hours of sleep I got when I was in high school. Like I remember like being online in the chat rooms or whatever, be like, if I don't get to bed by 1030, I'm going to have a shitty day tomorrow. Yeah. And like, I was always a priority, you know, I, I didn't care. I wasn't one of those kids that stayed up late. So like, you know, that constant practice has compounding interest. And now I'm 31, about to be 32. And it's like, okay, well, that all that is paying off. And it's part of my DNA now. And it's the way I structure my shit. And, and hopefully I can use my tools and things that I've kind of learned over the years to enhance other people's ways of living. And that in turn has enhanced my way of living because of all that compounding interest. Right. You know what right. I'm saying? Right. It's, it comes down to I mean, it's the same premise of like, can't one out of two people in the next 10, 15 years are going to have cancer. Uh, now that includes like skin cancer and, and the best way to treat cancer is to prevent that shit in the first place. And mm. so this solid immune system. And so same thing with these, the, the viruses and the bugs and the, I, I mean, I, I think you, I, you saw some of the posts that I uh, put there when the Spanish flu, that there was a three times likelihood of people to survive when they were kept in a hospital that was outdoors with fresh air and sunshine mm. and the whole vitamin D aspect and the um, circadian rhythms. I think it was, I think you're spot on for protecting your sleep and your, yeah. uh, that, you know, just keeping those stress levels low, those residual stresses so that you can uh, weather the storm when your body needs the resources that it needs. So definitely it's really underestimated how much value like having a rested system is and what it actually does for all your cells, you know, yeah. down to molecular levels. And I, you know, I just think pe- people, regular people that do the nine to five that, that are like on their day to day default loop or whatever it's become, they don't even pay attention to those things. Like you and I are in, are in healthcare or, you know, in, ed- in education and we teach fitness to a certain degree on, on, on many different levels. And this has been in our brain as we've grown up, you know, we're, we like to talk. I remember, remember I was saying to you the last time we had lunch that Laura was talking about gut health 10 years ago. And now you guys are talking about jaw positioning and how much that has an effect on energy balance and, 
you know, and, and all these types of things that we don't even realize, you know, right. maybe people are, are sleeping, grinding their teeth, their jaws misplaced, and they're wondering why X, Y, and Z keeps happening, but don't even relate the fact of that possibly being an issue or how much stress we actually do suppress and sit in our organs and let it be a problem. And we don't even think about this being an issue. And, it, you know, it goes a long way, especially when you trace everything back to being pure energy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so what are some of the ways that you, um, you like to alleviate stress? I mean, is there, do you have certain protocols? Um, I, I, you know, it's been, I've, I've been, so when you start something, you're consciously thinking about it. And then as you do it more and more, it becomes subconscious. And, uh, you know, Laura, Laura was just, she posts these daily questions every day. On, yeah. Yeah. On, I like those. Uh, yeah. And so I thought? think the question came up not too long ago is how do you manage stress? And she asked me that question and I, I had to think about it for a second and I don't, and that, it's not that I don't get stressed. It's just that I, I kind of listen to my body and mm. um, when I'll, I'll either check in and say, okay, am I, am I doing too much? Am I not getting, am I, am I off my routine? Uh, but nine times out of 10, it's getting outside, uh, getting in the sun and going for a walk. That's probably the, the best thing in that, that, cyclical gait movement that 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 most fundamental movement that we have of walking combined with uh, some sunshine some fresh air um mm. and really the sunshine not just from the vitamin d aspect from the uvb because that's not that's not available to us particularly where we live up north um but just the the high exposure of the blue light because we spend so much time indoors to regulate the whole circadian uh component the, the brighter light you have during the day the deeper sleep you're going to have at night and the darker it is at night, the deeper the sleep. So you can't just be inside when you have artificial light and uh, imbalance of light. That's a great point. Uh, but they have that whole spectrum of like red light with blue light at peaking at noon and then the blue light frequency going out towards the end of the day. And, um, but sometimes you need that, like that, just get outside of the house. It's definitely, definitely. And just making that natural, like, like, you know, going back to guys like you and I, who's, who've been thinking about this regularly as we kind of grown into the, the people we are now, uh, it's been on our minds. So we, we think about this regularly, but the average Joe doing their thing, they don't even, we, we're so disconnected from the stuff that makes us human, the outside, and, the, and the it's touching simple shit. It's yeah, simple, it's simple shit. shit. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of this was reinforced too when I had the two kids. Uh, we have Zachariah, who's mm. uh, almost five, and then Leo, who just turned one. And uh, to see them developmentally experience, right, to see how they walk with shoes on versus barefoot, right? And um, I think shoes are the worst thing you can put on anyone's foot, particularly yeah. a child. But the, um, to see them, their sensory experience and them touching things and uh, moving and trying to get their balance and then... Uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's cool to see that. And then you're in a unique position. We are both in unique positions that we teach. Um, and so when you teach these to, to teach these thought processes or introduce really to, um, to willing participants uh, to kind of go into the details of it's not just lift weights, eat less, sweat and work it's not hard. just about the scale number yeah. or you know, like putting through yourself. Bullshit. Yeah, it is easy. That's putting yourself through pain. And this is what 99% of corporate fitness is still. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Uh, but yeah, uh, how, so teaching, how, when were you called to it? Did you feel like you were always called to it? Did you always have this kind of like alpha way of explain, explaining things or taking command or like wanting attention? Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's funny because those, all those things you said, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't associate with any of those. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, those are the ones that I associate with. Like, I'm the fucking alpha red ranger. <laughs> I want to fucking talk. I love the attention, you know. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, yeah I do, talk about I, it. So I think, where my, I think where my strength lies is my ability to, um, to take really complex topics and bring them down to like the simplest components. Oh, and, I love that. And, um, and I find beauty in the, in the, in the, in the basics and the foundation, the fundamentals. And, um, so uh, honestly, I think it's because I'm such a nerd when it comes to understanding and learning mm. and, uh, the best way of learning is to prepare to teach. And mm. so the subject matter that I have taught with, in terms of human physiology and biomechanics and nutrition, and, um, I, I thought I knew what I was talking about. And I realized I didn't know shit when I had to answer questions or had to explain things. And, mm -hmm. you know, we get this expert bias where we become so routine with things that we forgot what it's like to understand those basics and then having to teach that. And it doesn't really become evident until you have people asking questions. And when you have hundreds of students every semester that are, hey, I don't understand this. Can you explain that? And you explain it and then you have to explain it a different way. 
um, and then creating online content and redundancy with different to reach different levels of learners. It it really shows that there is beauty in the basics, and you, and you don't really need to go beyond that. Um, and uh, so I think that's my what I like about teaching so much is that that exploration, that constant like shit. I don't know anything, and I'm I honestly I approach my classroom like I'm 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 here for my own selfish needs of like. Doing I'm going to learn from all you fuckers, right? You I guys are going to teach me. And I'm here just, just showing you a couple of things. And hopefully you go down that path. But, um, you know, I, in my classes, I'll, I'll probably pick like five or six really important topics for the entire semester. And we'll just focus on that. And it's almost like a sinkhole. When you go really deep on like four or five really, really random things, not random, but they're tied together, that it kind of pulls everything else down with it. And so mm -hmm. the student then becomes exposed to all that without really you having to cover all these details and being mundane and boring and, so, but I, I got to give you credit. I, I, I like the attention. There's no doubt, <laughs> but um, you know, and I, and I don't take advantage of it. Like I, I just started my Instagram account this um, like uh, right before the school closed, but I uh, ended up with like 120 followers like All that. Kids. And I didn't, didn't even try. Right. It was like, yeah. and I haven't posted shit yet. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, Look, it, it, getting the Instagram and doing all the social stuff was hard for me even to, and I still struggle with it. You know, I still struggle with the whole putting things out and being on top of that. But in this day and age, because now I'm trying to transfer all my in-person business to online and trying mm -hmm. to make it more accessible and easy to break down. And they say that you know the most about something when you can break it down into its simplest form. So when you, when you say things like you were saying before, like, hats off i think that's great because it shows that you really know something at a high level when you can break it down so intricately and then finding different ways to articulate it is huge too because there's a million ways to get the message across like life is just one giant big interpretation and everyone's got their own unique view right. on it and for an educator to break it down simply number one and two to show it in different ways so it could be absorbed is the next thing because that individual that you teach will behave in a certain way that's going to affect a thousand people in their lifetime at a basic level. You know, someone like you is going to know way more than that. And you're going to have that effect. That's why you've been called to the, the art of teaching. I, I, it's helped me so much learn. And I'm, I'm there for my selfish needs too. Like it forced me to dig deeper and still now, like I want to try to be a better writer. And that takes diving deeper into, into subjects that takes talking to guys like you to get different perspectives on things, you know? So that's cool to hear that. And I'm, and I'm glad that I get to have this conversation because I always want to better and sharpen my skills too as a teacher. How many teachers do you encounter that think that they're the sh their shit don't stink and they stop uh -huh. growing right there? How difficult is it to, you know, vibe with someone like that? Because especially mm. academia, um, first of all, a large percentage have never worked a real job in their life, right? So mm. they go... Um, they go college, they go undergrad, they go graduate, and they get their PhD, and they go right into their thesis research, and then bang, they're expert in their field. And there's no doubt they they know their shit really well. And and you find this really in like liberal arts and sciences. But being a physical therapist and then working full time, um, still staying cl in clinical practice, and then teaching in the field of kinesiology and movement science, and Man, you're doing it all. You're connecting it all. Yeah. So I I work clinically. I work in a hospital setting. So I work in the hospital. Um, and uh, so there's no, there's no complaint. Everything there is patient focus, right? And if you don't do what you're supposed to do, fucking people die, right? So there's a huge responsibility. Right. Um, and so when you look at like college campuses, people in their ivory towers, the focus should really be the student, right? They're the customer. They're the, they're the end user of, right? They're the, they're the reason why you're getting paid is by their tuition. But there's so much of this hoity-toity, I know everything. Oh, it's about, and really uh, about them, not the student. And mm -hmm. so... The quality of teaching, the, the, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of turds in the, in the lack uh, of perspective. Yes. It's perspective. And that's really what it is. I, I, I feel bad talking shit and I probably shouldn't talk shit, but it's, it's really that it's just a lack of perspective. They just, they haven't had the opportunity, right? When you get a degree in, in history or in, I, I, I mean, or even science, even you get a degree in bio, what, what do you do with a, with a PhD in biology, right? The, where's the practical application for that? So with the, the PhD in bio, you're teaching bio or you're, yeah, I mean, again, I, I don't want to take it away from anyone because there's some, there's people that are waste that have. Stop talking hard. shit, Jonathan. No. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I was going to say, I don't want to disrespect the credential, but I know a shit ton of people that have six or seven letters behind their name and they don't know shit, right? This whole expert mentality of, you know, I get it. I get some slack on feed, uh, on Facebook here a little bit and some of the other posting aspect that 
I'm sure you do. You're constantly, you're constantly putting articles out there. So I bet you people are talking shit your way all the time. I get ripped all the time. And they're like, then the famous is um, either you're too obtuse to understand what you're talking about. Like there's no getting through to you. Like, uh, fuck, I just posted like four articles. You read those articles that fast, right? Read some shit here. Um, and not articles like a blog post article, but like a real interpretation of data just to see different perspective, non-media, non-news outlets. Yeah. And then the other aspect is, oh, where, where did you get your PhD from? Are you an MD? It's like, uh, motherfucker, um, you look at a lot of stuff in the fitness industry that people are recommending. If we listen to everyone that we're experts, uh, low fat, uh, lots of cardio, don't do a lot of weight training, like vegan diet, the food, the food uh, fucking guy pyramid, like all this shit has been proposed by experts, yeah. fuck experts, right? Unless you can actually uh, walk the walk and uh, practice what you preach and show some meaningful aspect. I, there's some investigative, investigative journalists that know more about science than some PhD scientists. So totally. like, yeah. Well, a guy like Paul Cech is a ninth grade. He just finished ninth grade. That's it. Mm -hmm. And you know, he's got a, a, an institute that teaches quality information that brings people to the next level. He's just one example, you know, and, it, and you put him in a room, with a bunch of PhDs and he'll talk circles around them. And that, well, that's why say, he does that. Yeah. Where, where have you been published to look at? Like that's instant cred aspect. Right. And then what the fuck does that mean? Like most journals are, it's just the whole, yeah, the whole, the whole, again, this is part of where we're at with the population where people gave up their freedom so willingly that they mm -hmm. listened to experts, they followed down, they followed the Pied Piper. And, uh, and, and I don't think the experts really were malicious. I just think they, they know their shit, right? They know their, but they right. know it like they just know this little area and they yeah. don't see how it affects everything and maybe questioning why that's, uh, it's just, there's no, there's no deeper questioning. Right. And I right. think that's, that goes back to my, where I was saying my strength with teaching is to be able to go down to the basics. I, I am able to go down to the basics because I can, I can go really focus in with the microscope and then I can take it all the way back with the telescope and see how all these things uh, fit together. And uh, you, you can't, you can't just specialize and isolate just in one aspect. You know that, right? You yeah. Oh, 100. Yeah. 100%. I mean, it's why like you, you, you don't isolate a kid with just one sport and just one movement you want to expose them to many different things so that they can acclimate and learn to move and adjust in a lot of different ways it's it's stupid to stick to one thing like i like teaching i like talking about exercise and fitness but i also love talking about comedy and paying attention to comedians and and how they 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 practice their craft or an athlete and how they practice their craft i love talking about the mental game i i, I like lately i've been talking about meta, metaphysics and I want to understand that a little bit more. I mean, not to, not to completely change the entire uh, tone of the conversation, but if you're interested in talking a little metaphysics, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. What, what is your take on the fabric of music and sound vibration and how it relates to the fabric of reality? Do you think that they work synonymously? Do you think they work along the same rules? Um, I, I don't know. It's funny that you want to go that route. Cause you brought up comedians and I wanted to start talking about comedy. We, we can talk about <laughs> comedy. Who are some of your favorite comedians? We can but, go there. Uh, well, real quick. Cause you brought it up with the music aspect. I, I don't know so much about music, but I know that there was that study, uh, on ice by, uh, what was that guy's name? Ice frequency that, uh, based on the frequencies that it was being exposed to, uh, Yamato was his name. Let me see if I can find him real quick. Yeah, it's just something I've been fascinated with because like the scales of music, sound, the chakras, are, you know, um, the prana tube, life force, octaves are in a perfect circle and, you know, our torus field is a 3D sphere and I feel like there's connections to all this and the way it all works. I mean, when we look at the Fibonacci sequence, that, that same like circle is, is in the torus field. It's the same thing that explains scales and music the numbers the sounds so like so, okay anyway, so what you're what you're getting at there is i do be believe that mathematically that the everything everything resonates at a certain frequency and there's harmony that exists in in natural cycles in dna in uh, weather patterns and I, I do think that there is some unified aspect that's that's there peppered in with a little bit of randomness because that's that's what nature does right they throw mm. curveballs here and there um, but I, I can't find the article and I'll send it to you at some point, but, um, there was, um, there was research that looked at ice and when ice was, uh, when water was freezing, 
based on the frequencies, whether they were considered negative frequencies or positive, so like uh, negative words or positive words or different types of music that it had a uh, either a, a positive or a negative effect on the crystal formation, how, how symmetrical and um, was it really chaotic or was it very, was there a pattern? Mm. Um, there was an article a long time ago called Sonic Bloom, B-L-O-O-M, and it was based on the growth of plants, uh, agricultural crops, based on the type of music that was being played and um, more complex music and the frequencies uh, increase plant growth versus more simple or basic uh, frequencies. So I definitely think there's something there uh, with the, uh, the frequencies. Yeah. I, I just get super fascinated on how like you can create music and you can create life situations and like you could attract certain vibrations and certain frequencies into your life as your reality is a song that's playing out. And, um, you know, just like making a music, just like making music with an instrument, you make reality with your body and it's similar to making music. I don't know. I just been fascinated with this topic. And the more I think about it, the more I research uh, the, ge the geometry of music and the scales and how chords come together and certain patterns. Like, I think the same thing has to do with reality and the way we synchronize and harmonize with certain different people or situations and kind of how different aspects pop up or different opportunities pop up. I think it's the same shit. I right. Really right. No. And if you look at mu music, art, anything of the humanities, these are all supernatural, right? These things don't exist in nature. These are things that humans have created. Mm. And it's uniquely, I think it's a unique skill. That's, that's only to, 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 to that species, to our species um, of, of this, be able to create and create music and uh, create it out of, out of nothing, right. From, right instruments and different types of instruments and uh, again you look at little kids you know one or two years old that they they don't really understand music but they hear a certain beat or a pattern and they start moving to mm -hmm. it they have this natural sway and it does it affects the way we want to move and it's inevitable that you hear a beat and you start bouncing your head or start so yeah it's wild i like it yeah. anyway going back to comedians and laughter i wonder if laughter runs on the same type of waves and frequency like I mean, I'm sure like different words and different things associate with different thoughts, obviously, but like, I wonder like what the fuck laughter is and why is that so important to wellness? Uh, who do you, what comedy what comedians do you like? Well, I, and just because it came up recently and, and I, uh, he's a guy out from our area here. He's lives in California now, but, uh, Sebastian, uh, Maniscalco. Have you Yeah, Maniscalco? Yeah, for sure. We saw him, I, my wife and I saw him live. Uh, in, I don't even remember what month it was, but back in 2019. Yeah, no, I think it, it, he reminds me of uh, Kramer from uh, from Seinfeld with a little bit of Andrew Dice Clay, and yeah, that's a good. And I find out in a book that I read about his uh, that he was actually um, he was mentored by Andrew Dice Clay. So that's oh really that, that harsh that that harsh edge combined with the facial expressions. And, yeah, yeah, he's from Arlington right? Heights. You knew that, right? Yeah, yeah. So I say he's a local guy. And yeah. uh, what what the way the way it came up is that um, my father in law was asking me about like what certain things that I that bother me about things, and and I I don't get. I get frustrated. Like I, I think I started our conversation. Yeah. I get frustrated, and that motivates me to do things. But sometimes things are outside of my control. Um, but I can't help but get frustrated by observing people. I can't mind my own shit sometimes. <laughs> out watching people, it's like, the fuck are you doing? Like, what are you thinking? Like, and it, and I, of course, I keep this to myself. I wouldn't go out and uh, unless it affects me directly. Then I'll get in your face and tell you to fuck right. off. But, right. Um, but I observe, and I, I just I see a lot of. Like, I just question, like, what the fuck? Like, people are, like, these people vote, right? So we look at, like, this whole toilet paper thing, and you look at some of these things that people are doing to protect themselves, putting plastic bags over their fucking head. Like, yeah. uh, we're going to prevent the virus so much that we're just going to prevent breathing, fuckers. You, right? know, so, you know comedians are writing so many jokes about this thing. Oh, right? I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait. This is going to, it's going to be fuel for fodder. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, and here's the thing, and this is the scary thing, dude, is like you get a lot of these people that are out there, what Italy's facing right now, because they've been on lockdown for so long, and they've turned the curve. So their lockdown has helped. They're on the back end of their curve. So they, they have another two weeks, and they'll, 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 they won't have this rate of infection. But I'm telling you, if Italy can do it, anybody can do it. Well, here's the thing, man. That's the thing is that there's, they're worried about, there's, there's uh, uh, resentment and restlessness right now. People are ready to like revolt at some point, right? There's going to be enough's enough, right? Because they, yeah. they had to tighten the screws so hard instead of it being a, a voluntary aspect. And, um, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of law. I think there's going to be a lot of lawsuits that come out of this. Um, mm. there, and there should have been more early on that the government's power, unless there's an insurrection or an attack, martial law has not been declared. 
And the when the states of emergency, the states have the right to um, manage quarantine, but they can only quarantine you if you A, have a confirmed sickness, or B, have been from a region that has had it. But this whole quarantine shutting down of the entire population, they started doing it okay, where they said, stay at home, voluntary, get outside for exercise. But they basically did it indirectly by shutting down business where they had power. Then you get, uh, you get places like Washington, D.C. and and Chicago and different places that are threatening with jail time and fines and fees. Now, um, like now you're starting to, to cross that. Yeah. So uh, no, they haven't done it yet. I don't know if they've done it yet. Any arrests were made, but if they do, that's, that's an ACLU uh, nice case right there to say, I, I just think there needs to be some pushback to government to say, Hey, you can't, this is not how it works, right? You can't just take away civil liberties. You really shouldn't be shutting down business. And what really bothers me is that these governments have come in and shut these businesses down yet property taxes are still fucking due mm-hmm. sales tax is still being collected. Mm-hmm. Like they should, they should be uh, waiving all of that for the time that they decide to shut down private enterprise, but all the government employees are getting paid. All the, everyone's getting paid except for private business. So it's, yeah. Yeah. And, and what type of long-term effect is that going to have? Like how, or even like, how is, how do we bounce back? It's when- that's the scary part, dude, is that um, the, the solution has been worse than the, the cure has been worse than the, uh, the disease. And so when you get all these people that are fine, here's another perspective. Like you get all these children that were, they're going to school that were getting fed now at home that, uh, in, in, in not such supportive families, the kids aren't being fed, the, there's more child abuse that's happening. Like Mm -hmm. like school was almost a relief for some of these children. And there's news reports coming up now with different things. And, um, but the amount of people that are fine for unemployment, uh, the suicide rates that are, you're going to have increase in suicide, increase mm-hmm. in crime. It's like for, let's say worst case scenario, 100,000 people, which I think is overestimated. I, it's going to be, oh, I don't, I can't say it, but I, I think it's going to be less than 100,000. And it, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if it's as much or less than a flu. Like that's my, I wouldn't be surprised at that, but I'm, I don't have, we, no one knows the numbers. No one can sit here and tell you X, Y, and Z, but um I just think the media has inflamed it. Uh, people have been fearful and uh, people are so scared that they're willing to tattle on their, their fellow people yeah. of, oh, this person's out, this person's. Now, should people be congregating in groups of 100 and 500? No. Um, but should we be able to go outside and swim in a swimming pool? Yeah, I think that's, uh, that should be totally. Yeah. Should people be able to walk outside on the lakefront path in Chicago? Yeah, what, like getting outside in, in two weeks, uh, Chicago is going to have uh, vit- UVB is going to be in, in, in the sun's going to be at the right axis for us to get vitamin D. That is the best defense against respiratory diseases. So, um, but yet now we're locked inside. So yeah, there's no thought process. It's just all reactionary, all sledgehammer and the government's going to double down and uh, push even further. They're not going to backtrack and say, oops, we were sorry. Now we can all go outside. They're going to enforce because the numbers are going to continue to go up and yeah, no, it's interesting, man. Like, I hope that there's no martial law in force because, like, we do I – mean, we can't be caged. I feel like – I mean, I, I love people so much. I went and trained yesterday in home, and, like, I was so excited to see people <laughs> and interact. You know, like, I need that. It's part of my biology. It's part of my DNA. And, you know, on top of the fact that I, I want to get out and, – and I've been outside in my front lawn, you know, doing my workouts and shit. And, you know, as the weather gets nicer in Chicago, like – I want to be outside. I want to be, you know, on the lakefront. I want to run around. You know, I want to play soccer again. Fuck, I've been dreaming about playing soccer. I don't know. Like, I haven't played in forever, and I want to just, you know, I want to go out and do that, get some competition going. And, you know, it's just weird. I hope I hope we can bounce back. I hope that this is going to make people think, like, oh, we did have it good, and we shouldn't take it for granted, and we shouldn't be complaining and I, th- I almost think something like this was like needed for, for perspective, whatever the repercussions are going to end up being, I think whatever they are, we're going to push through it and we're going to be even better because of it at the end. Yeah, dude. But here's the thing though. Like you're looking at the UK, looking at a possible six months of lockdown. You got all these States that are doing up until May 1st We're it's going to, the can's going to be kicked down the road more and more because mm. there's, no, there's, there's not enough people that are, that are, I, unless the antibody test comes out and they realize that, oops, we're wrong. There's actually 10 million people that already have the virus and we're immune. So, okay, doors open. But 
we'll look at what do, you, what do you do with businesses that were shut down and what's going to end up happening, man, is it going to be all the corporations that were able to weather the storm, Target, Walmart, Amazon, they're, they're fine. McDonald's is fine. My wife works for Ace. They're, they seem to be pretty good. Uh, but everyone else, like all these smaller, like it's, it, it's, this is, this was a, a stake in the heart for a lot of small businesses. Totally. I'm feeling it like as a trainer, you know, that's, I'm an independent contractor. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's been my bread and butter. And now it's forcing me to, I'm a guy that, that likes to shift with the tides mm-hmm. and whatever the universe has given me is how I'm going to fucking flow. And what for, for me individually as an independent contractor, it's been forcing me to put everything in an online accessible system and, and come up with a structure that's going to flourish over time and be my full-time thing. Like this is just going to have to be the case. And I feel like individually after this is all over, if I can build up that online platform, I have real freedom. Like with time, I don't have to be my, you know, in anywhere in person, technically, unless I choose to have in, in, per, in person cl- uh, sessions or classes, which I, I really feel strongly about putting on workshops. Like right. I think that's something that I really want to put more time in, take, steel maze, body weight, kettlebell, and do those types of foundational classes nationally or nationwide, uh, worldwide even. I think there's a real need for it, especially after something like this, to strengthen right. our physical systems, to strengthen our mental, emotional systems, our immune systems, our, the way our endocrine system works, the way we look at uh, neurotransmitters and the balance of all that and how that has an impact on the way we make decisions and behave and think and perceive. Um, I just, I just think it's really important. So I want to switch my business and put more into that. But as far as like my online stuff, it's going to make me free as as possible. And I think that is a positive outside of this. And I think small businesses could structure the way things work and not everyone can do that. You know, hairstylist, I know my mother-in-law, she's she's hurting right now because she's, how's she going to do shit online? You know? Well, and then restaurants and um, restaurants, any, any type of, yeah, microbreweries, right? Yes, exactly. Anytime like local meetups where they have like a hundred, 200 people, this is, this is hard. How how do we come back from that? I I don't know. We got to open up sooner than later. I was kind of excited that they were going to push for like the April 12th. Well, we'll see. We'll see what Sweden, how Sweden ends up. And uh, so you say you like the whole Sweden way Sweden is is doing things. So let's, let's, let's let's, uh, kind of peel that back a little bit. How can we model that? uh, I, I I think it's more of just getting back to opening things back up, let people interact. And uh, um, I, I, again, I, all I know is that, Unless, unless they come up with some kind of long-term solution for uh, herd immunity or vaccination or letting this thing burn out, this whole suppressing the curve, extending it out, uh, it, was, that's, it, it was never meant to be, it was always meant to be a minimum of three months of, of lockdown. And so, mm-hmm. because you're always at that fear of, okay, good, we suppress the curve, we're down, we're flat, uh, now what? We, we let people start going back out in the community. You know, you look at Berlin, who is, they're looking at, um, giving certificates of antibody improvement. So if you prove, if you have a piece of paper that shows that you've already been immune to it, you can go back out in the workforce, right? Mm-hmm. So you have your papers to be able to go work and it's a small percentage of the population. Um, you know, I think Germany only has, let's see, Germany has, Germany has uh, like 30 million people and it uh, had, no, it's, it's almost 60 million people and only 80, uh, only set, well, under 80,000 cases. So uh, 57,000, yeah, 16,000 recover. So only 16,000 people are going to go back into the, into the economy. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, this thing is not as infective as, as it's just, I, I just, there's no, there's no game plan. There's no plan of attack. There's no uh, uh, component. And it's always going to be there unless you're either vaccinated from it or you get it and get sick from it. So if there's no vaccine, the only way to become immune is to get it and to uh, get sick. But we're slowing the amount of people. There's, there's just no, there's no visible plan right now to open up the economy and get people back. There seems to be a lot of, yeah, I mean, I'm with you there, but there seems to be a lot of you know, experts, quote unquote, you know, guys like Michael Osterholm or Peter Atia, these guys are talking about like this, like real severity of the virus. And again, I'm not as smart as they are to articulate how they talk about how dangerous it is, but then like that puts fear in people's eyes. Like 
Rogan is probably one of my favorite podcast guys to listen to. I love comedy. I love the way he breaks down comedy and, and just different thought patterns. But like, you can see he's genuinely afraid because somebody like Peter Atia talks about the severity of this virus or Michael Osterholm on his show talks about the severity of this. This is real. This isn't going away. And when someone like his stature starts talking like that, it makes people afraid, you know, and that fear is real, man. That's energy. That's going to, it's not going to go away in two weeks. No, I know. And, and maybe again, it's all relative, right? Is it, is it more destructive than the cold and more destructive than the flu? Yes, but it's, it's less than Ebola. It's less than uh, swine flu. It's it's less than MERS and, so, and SARS. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, it's a pandemic. It's a serious disease, but it's, is it that serious where we, and again, all these decisions were being made on that Imperial college model where they were predicting 2 million deaths, which would have mm. put it way high but they've scaled back to 100 to 200,000 and then back down to like 84,000. Yeah, maybe seeing that number, right? Seeing a 2 million deaths, it opens up people's eyes like, oh my God, people are going to contract this and die. And then, you know, they had the pushback from the other end where you had people that weren't taking this seriously at all. So you're kind of, it's like a pendulum that swings back and forth, you know, yeah. about the, uh, the pendulum. But yeah, there's, a, um, there's the new model that's based on, I forgot what this was based off of. Let me see here real quick. Uh, this was based on um, the Murray the Murray model that's looking at where you know how New York keeps on saying they're going to peak in two weeks. This is all now based on the new calculations of the Murray model. But for the United States, they're expecting at the high end uh, of deaths of of 177,000, and at the low end of 41,000, which is about uh, 20,000 deaths less than the this, or it can be somewhere around the seasonal flu. But right in the middle, they're looking at just shy of 100,000 deaths, which puts it at twice as much as the flu. So yes, twice as many. This is serious because twice as many people are going to die from this from the flu, but still less pe more people die from cigarette smoking, heart from, disease, cancer, yeah, fucking all that shit. Just from normal, regular community acquired pneumonia is going to kill more people than the coronavirus. So just regular pneumonia that people get from bacterial and viral infections that's not coronavirus it still may outpace the the coronavirus death. So hmm. again, is it serious? Yes. But is it apocalyptic where we shut down society? I, I, I just don't see that. I really like that we're having this conversation because like it's finding the balance in this seesaw as everything, right? Polarity of life, the the duality of everything we want to find our, our balance somewhere in the middle and but you're you're a piece of shit because you're con you're thinking that it's it that the economy needs to open up and we need to save every life we can right but then you're an and then the person that's saying that is a is a dumb fuck because right. they're not thinking of the long-term consequences they're thinking right here in the moment yes emotionally you want to fix it but long term uh, how many people are you going to impoverish uh, right. with that right it's right society as we know it over and even talking about like governmental control too i think that's it's a substantial thing to talk about like everyone gave up their rights so quickly in the name of the virus and we're talking about something possibly at the end of the day we don't know is going to be just a little bit more than the regular flu but less than ebola sars mers and all that the less than ammonia well and and that's the thing is the problem is is that people think that this this shelter in place the stay at home all these acts are to prevent this and i don't realize that it's inevitable that these people are going to contract the virus and and perish from it right? Mm -hmm. It's inevitable. Mm -hmm. Now, what we can do by the flattening the curve is, is trickle down more in so that um, we don't overburden the health, the, the hospital system. So the people that need hospital care can get hospital care and the people that need to be on ventilators can be ventilated. Because that's what the severity of, I guess, is too, is that about 15 to 20% of the people that get this need to be hospitalized. And of that, um, of those people, like one to 5% need to be on, on ventilators. So, uh, that's where the severity is at, but you're still, the other end of it is that you have, you get, you have 80% of the people that get sick for one day, uh, and they're fine the next day. And they just hit there. So there's, there's many more people that are, there's quite a bit of people. There's more people that are like that than the severe end. And that's the other nobody thing. Talks, nobody talks about that. Uh, and why not investigate that? Is that zinc deficiency? Is that, um, what, where is that? Right. Something that we can control in the moment. kind of thing. Exactly. And if it's, and if it is a zinc deficiency, okay, let's start giving people zinc. And, but again, I, I'm just, that's just a random thing that. Right. Uh, right. And I get what you're saying though. Like but investigate, let's, let us understand a little bit of, of who's a little bit more at risk. The people that are not doing X, Y, and Z or the deficient in X, Y, and Z. What is it? What do we, right. how do we understand it? And how can we implement it or integrate it? Because like right now, like 
it's not like rabies where 75% or 85, 80% of the people that get it die if they don't get the, the intervention. So it's not severe like that. Ebola, where most people die, 75% die. So those are, to me, a severe disease. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Should, even a 50%. But that's the thing is you're getting 80% that aren't just getting sick and then they're getting their asses kicked. You're getting a lot of people that are getting sick and they're like, oh, I, I feel okay, right? I got, a little, mm. I got a little fever one day and I'm good. So that's... Yeah. That's the, that's the compounding aspect is that there's, it's like a dichotomy between, and then here's the thing where the tinfoil hat comes on, either the government is fucking stupid and they over-responded, which I do think that is the case a lot, but there's a lot of experts and a lot of smart people that are saying the opposite, um, or there's some information that's not being shared and that's what's scaring them. So mm. I'm hoping that it's just the fear of the unknown and it's not like some information that's not being, um, uh, that's being withheld. But uh, yeah, that, that would be that would be interesting because there's always something we don't know. They're not telling us the full story. How do you think the split in politics uh, is misrepresenting all this information? Do you feel like because people want to be so pro or anti Trump that that impacts how they perceive the severity of the virus? And I all think this? so. That, that, and, you know, that's the thing that concerned me at the beginning is that I, when this first came out, I was like, God, it's not that big of a deal. When I started hearing more and more people saying that, I was like, well, I'm part of the fucking crowd now. And like, what's going on? And, and that was the message. And I, and I felt a lot of the pro-Trump people were, were um, oh, yeah, it's not a big deal. And not that it wasn't a big deal, but it probably could have been. We probably could have jumped on this a little sooner and done a little bit more. But I think politics really, really effed things up. But I think... Um, I think New York is paying the price for them trying to go against, uh, you know, Trump said that he's going to shut down air, air traffic or flights from, from China. I think you had these, um, this pushback on their part to go visit Chinatown and make sure that you were out and um, Louisiana still having Marty. So, you, you know, I, I just think, uh, I think a lot of states pushed back or a lot of places pushed back for a political move and they probably were best at, at, at like maybe dispersing these large gatherings. And so again, it's just, yeah, politics played both ends and it yeah. threw things up and um, yeah. And the, the biggest, the biggest loser out of this whole thing is uh, or the biggest uh, winner out of this, like the positive is showing how useless a lot of the regulations we have in place and how a lot of the regulations have slowed down um, um, like getting masks out or, mm. uh, drug trials for different things. And I mean, this is a burdensome aspect of government. Like we yeah, still, so let, we let's, still have mass testing. Right. I mean, it should be mass testing. That's what South Korea is doing really well. And they turned it over to private enterprise and uh, our federal government needed to keep it within the way they've been doing things with the trials, the FDA and the CDC and back and forth and all this bureaucratic red tape and jumping through hoops. And it's like, fuck, get, get five or six private companies to get out there and get a test and let them compete with each other and who gets it out fastest. I mean, that's, that's what we need to be doing is mass testing right now. That's, that's the scalpel. That's putting the sledgehammer away, getting the scalpel out and quarantining people that are actually sick, not the entire massive population. Mm, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, so I, I, to close this out, what are some of the positives at the end of the day of all of this besides what you just said there? Like going on a, a spectrum. Um, like what can we take from this at the end of the day? Of what this coronavirus or our, our conversation that we just had because we, we like twenty different we, things. We definitely talked about a lot, but as far as like the coronavirus and what the state of people is at the moment and how we bounce back from this, what is some of the positives that we can take away just I, from? I, I think this I is guess I guess I, like the collective, right? This is a reflection of the collective, right? The state that we're in right now. There's there's a lot of crazy shit that's been happening up until this point. Now this pandemic, whatever it is, you know, an attack, let's call it, this shutdown right now. Um, what are what what are ways that we can be optimistic towards the end of this? Where's the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak? So I, I think why South Korea was so on the ball with this is that they got their they got their they got spanked uh, during the, um, the the last SARS outbreak and mm. they weren't prepared. And now this time around, they were on it. And I think, I think in the end, this coronavirus is probably not going to be as serious and we're going to recover from this. But I think what it's going to do is it's going to, for when we actually have a really serious, like 50% death rate disease, um, there's going to be no more, like this is going to be a lesson learned from mm. before. And hopefully this is not a lesson learned that government can decide to just put a quarantine in whenever they decide to, that there needs to be, there's going to be some consequences to that. And they'll see that as well. 
Um, I think people are going to take an inventory of their of their toilet paper supply, but they're also going to take an inventory of their uh, health supply as well. What, what kind of physical yeah. uh, health resources do you have? And I'm hoping that it's going to be a big thing for the fitness industry for people wanting to um, not just be like because you saw the big change in the fitness industry from aesthetics, fat loss, weight loss to be able to move better because people were orthopedically impaired. And now I think people are going to look at, hey, I want to survive shit, right? Mm -hmm. I want to be able to to go outside and shop and not worry about catching a virus because yep. my, I'm 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 at a at risk population, right? Yeah. Especially with diseases like diabetes that are pretty much curable, right? If you right. do the right shit, right? Or preventable right. in that aspect. Yeah. Definitely. Which is, I think, I think I saw an article that that is the number one uh, risk factor for perishing uh, from the coronavirus is uh, diabetes. Wild, wild. Yeah. Type forty one percent. Forty one percent of the, yeah. So that's interesting, man. And you know, type two diabetes is an issue, and you, you're seeing it younger and younger as the years go on. And we know this. We know sugar intake and how the pancreas works, and how too much of it could fuck that system up. Right. And um, that is one of the the, the negatives that uh, make you a little bit more susceptible to something like this, right? And uh, there's, there's a lot of good points there on some of the, the positive outcomes that we're going to take out of this. Where can listeners find you specifically? You want to drop that information? Um, I actually don't know what the best way would be. Uh, I would say you're most active on your Facebook. That's how I see you. Okay. So, uh, but I, I don't have a public, uh, profile, so I guess I could put, uh, uh right. up there. You, oh, it's, it's all good. What's you your, wanna be my, you want to be my social media coach and, uh, get some stuff set up for me. I, I could, I, I listen, <laughs> I, I'm, I can teach you what I've learned so far and I've been doing this now for three years and I'm just trying to be as authentic as possible and make everything one thing. Like I wanted to rebrand the podcast for a little while, but I think Danny Cola has got to be where you find everything. So yeah. In that aspect, I would say find, uh, you know, uh, your brand and have everyone go to that, make the Facebook, make the Instagram, make right. the Snapchat, make the YouTube, all according to that. And that's where everyone will kind of funnel your shit. And as I've started, like I, I didn't know what I didn't, I didn't know what the topics of my podcast were going to be about. I didn't know how I wanted to direct my content on my Instagram and it just so happened that I stuck with my true self and this is what's coming out. I, right. I like to talk about wellness. I like to talk about consciousness. I like to talk about metaphysics. I like to talk about health. I like to talk about movements and teaching and deconstructing those things. And that's what my content's been about. So as far as like coaching you up on social media, stick to your guns, man. You're, you're smart you, and, and you're a good teacher and the way you articulate things is good too. And the more you, the more you do podcasts, the more you have these conversations, the brighter right. you get at articulating. I, a question I was going to ask you back when we were talking about teaching is how underestimated it is for us that we go through hours and hours and hours of a lecture every year and how much that advances us. You know, you said that you, oh, you yeah. do it for your selfish needs, like, fuck yeah, man, I can't tell you how much that it's forced me to open my eyes up because if I was needed to be prepared to teach a lesson, I needed to be prepared. Right. I needed to know my shit. Yeah. I need to answer those questions. And you know, it just so happens that when I found the content that I like, like health and fitness and understanding consciousness on higher levels, like I want to learn more about that every day. I've been a, a podcast fanatic, partially why like I started my own. Like I just wanted to start my truthful message. And it just so happened that I've delivered my best content this way. I just suck at editing it, <laughs> <laughs> but it's forced me to, to be the technician, right? Right. Like, you got to learn. Think, yeah. You learn, you got to learn and you got to do gotta it. Put the work in, you you know, the insides and outs and right. So, right. Yeah. And you'll get, you'll get information and feedback from people's like, Oh, you just got to outsource it, hire somebody. And you, you, that, that limits you when you, you know, it limits you financially. It limits you in the way that you want to showcase your content. Like and then and, you're dependent. You're dependent. Yeah, exactly. And you don't, you don't want to be dependent. dependent. Right. Yeah. Right. Jinx. Jimmy and soda. What's that? <laughs> Cause we said that together. Jinx. I just, Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but no, you're right. You don't want to be dependent on anybody. And it's forced me to not be dependent on people and just learn how to video, learn how to edit video, learn how to edit audio. And I, I still am not that good at it. I just, it's a process. You make it, yeah. Do you learn it? Yeah. You learn it as you go. And that's, that's cool, man. That's perfect. I think, I, I think what you're doing is great. And I think you. uh, you've had some cool guests on and thank you. Um, not, not saying that 
that it's me, but like you've had some big names on. You're and- a cool guest. <laughs> no, dude, definitely. You're a cool guy. I like talking to you. I like, I like other teachers that are going through their own journey that explain things from their unique perspective. And there's something to that, dude, you're working in the clinical field. You're taking that knowledge. You're uh, bringing it back to the young bloods. And I think this is the, this is the nature of humanity right now. It's, take this information and bring up the young. Like I don't have kids yet, but I was on a podcast yesterday and like, I want to structure my life now to make myself free so I can raise my optimized kids. Like I want them to learn all this stuff. I want them to walk around barefoot. I want to see how they experience themselves at the purest standpoint. Like I just want to be ready for all that. And that's going to be my shift. It's not going to (coughs) be, excuse me, run a bunch of gyms. Like, fuck that fuck that i'm not in the material i i want to learn as best as possible how i can optimize my community my right. kids my friends my family my students my clients my athletes everybody and i think what you're doing is that just that so thanks for your knowledge that you dropped today cool man my my pleasure my pleasure so hopefully one of many and uh we'll get yeah. a little more organized and uh get definitely more out there so Definitely, man. Definitely. Well, I appreciate your time and get out in the sun and tell your wife I said hello and your kids I said hello and uh, enjoy the rest of your day, pal. All right. Sounds Reach good, out if you need anything. All right. Thanks, dude. Absolutely. Have a good one. Yep. Bye-bye. And that was the podcast, everybody. I hope you found that valuable. Make sure to check out Jonathan on LinkedIn at Jonathan Los. That's L-O-O-S. And as always, let's uh, connect on Instagram at Danny Cola Fitness. Uh, If you like what you heard today, make sure to give a five-star rating and uh, share this podcast with somebody you love. The premise is typically ways that we can have thought-provoking conversation about uh, optimization, balance, growth, uh, development. And we talk a lot about the physical realm and movement, but we also talk about uh, we, me, the host with my guests. Uh, We talk about... um, optimizing from a mental standpoint doing the inward work becoming more parasympathetic um, you know training the brain from a nervous system standpoint in the body from a nervous system standpoint to be uh, as calm as possible so that we could listen to what our body and mind is saying all the internal chatter right and that's what uh, I typically like to base my conversations around And that's what this podcast is. So if you like this podcast, check out the other episodes that I've done. I've had conversations with people like Paul Check, um, Jordan Syatt, who's a trainer for Gary Vee. I've talked to Primal Swolger, Eric Leha from the Onnit Academy. I talked to Shane Hines. He's the uh, fitness director of operations or whatever that is at Onnit. So there's a lot of uh, interesting folks that come on. So enjoy uh, 